Fresh Air Production. Hello and welcome to Fresh Ears from Fresh Air. I'm Neil Cowling, the founder of Fresh Air, and the point of this series is to pick apart the work we're doing in creating podcasts for brands in the hope that it helps other people who are also looking to create their own podcast for a brand or business. Podcasting is very fashionable, and rightly so, because it's absolutely brilliant. It's in-depth, intimate, portable medium with a loyal and self-selecting, super-engaged audience. It's also hard. It's hard to get right, it's hard to make big, and it's hard to measure. So we're a bunch of experienced radio producers and audio obsessives who decided a few years ago to put our focus squarely onto creating brand-funded podcasts. We start by understanding the reasons why a brand wants a podcast in the first place, and then work hand-in-hand with them all the way through from creating the concept to being live across Apple, Spotify, Google, and a thousand other podcast platforms. In Fresh Ears, we choose one of our projects and talk it through with the clients and the producer so that we can get to understand it better, pick out the tips and tricks behind a successful branded podcast and find out why it worked. The hope being that both we and you listening can learn at least one thing, and hopefully more than one thing, from the process. In this episode, we're going to talk through one of the shows we're most proud to be associated with. It's I Am, I Have by Happyful Magazine. So I haven't spoken about this online before, so this is going to be like an exclusive. <laughs> but I'm in um, a really weird space with my body. So I'm like plus size. I'm, I'm in eating disorder recovery. But I was in therapy a few months ago and I was like, I just want to like let my body go. My therapist is like, what does that mean? And I say, well, this is my protection body. This is this is the body that I've used to heal my issues with food. And I've had to nest and sort of like burrow like a little animal and, and feed myself because I'd neglected food for so long. Because um, I used to be um, like six stone lighter because I was very unwell. Um, and I was like, and I'm in this space where I'm looking at myself. I'm not seeing who I am. Like, I don't match what my soul feels like and I'm finding that really difficult. So how do you discuss mental health without suggesting it defines someone and how do you use podcasting as a brand extension to already successful content? That's the question Happiful had already begun to consider when they came to us for production support. We were approached by Lucy Donoghue who's the head of partnerships and projects for Happiful and very pleased to say she joins us today. Hello. Hello. And the series producer is Annie Day, one of our senior producers with a background in journalism for BBC News and local radio. Hello. Hi. So, uh, Lucy, before we go into the podcast itself, for those who don't know, can you explain what Happiful magazine is, please? Yeah, absolutely. Happiful magazine is, we're actually just over three years old now, and it's a magazine which... We talk about mental health and well-being, and it's all about destigmatizing the conversations around mental health and well-being and sharing people's stories, as well as actionable advice and inspiration for self-care and how you can look after yourself. It's about people being able to read about mental health in the context of the rest of their life, rather than it being sidelined or very serious or very kind of clinical. It's very much about inclusivity. One of the things that I love about Happiful, and I actually came to Happiful when it was about six months old, and the reason I applied for the job was I'd seen the magazine, and I have a background of mental health challenges. I have OCD, 
and I'd seen the magazine and I'd started to read it and it was so refreshing as a magazine because there was nothing about weight, there was nothing about the way people looked, it was all about people's creative journeys or what they did in their life or how to look at things differently and I just thought it was really groundbreaking to have something that was so open but also rejected all of the things we usually see in magazines like diet culture and shaming, which really feeds into people's mental health challenges. Yeah, I love it. And so why why a podcast? Where, where did that f- conversation first come up? It first came up in my interview because the whole organisation is about talking and sharing. And it felt like a podcast was absolutely the right thing to do. And we have a huge amount of, we have 22,000 professionals who are part of the network who all offer a kind of therapy, which includes talking at some point. So really a podcast was the next step in extending that community and being able to connect with people and share more about what therapy is, but also share more about the fact that we can be a lot of different things and still live with a mental health challenge. You know, it doesn't define us. And I think it's very easy to label people by their mental illness. But we're all a million things. A mental illness or a physical illness is just a tiny part of that. What, what did you think that podcasting could do that the magazine couldn't? Because it feels like they have a similar vibe to them, but there must have been something that you thought the podcast might be able to achieve that you couldn't do through the magazine? I think what the podcast achieves is it gives someone their own unfiltered voice. Because with a magazine, inevitably, there is a certain amount of framing that goes on through the writer, through the editor. There will always be a slight change to the tone or or bits will have to be taken away because we don't have endless pages. With a podcast, you hear, you hear someone's voice, you hear their highs and their lows throughout the conversation and you get much more of an unfiltered sense of who that person is. And it's an extension, really, of what we do in the magazine. It's an extension of that conversation. Brilliant. So what were the what were the goals? What objectives did you set? Were there any numbers that you, you had in your head when you set out to make the podcast? What sort of targets did you create? I mean, Neil, I don't know if you remember, but it was all very quick and sudden. So I'd been... <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> I'd been at Haberfall for about a year and my wonderful boss, Paul, had said we talked about a podcast and I'd come up with the treatment for the podcast and I'd recorded an introduction on my phone thinking about what it could be. And he took that introduction and set us up and said, go. So the ball was already rolling very honestly, before we thought about objectives. The the main thing was to extend the community and engage with more people. And I think the rest of the objectives came retrospectively after we'd seen what the first series had to offer. It probably wasn't the best way to do it, but it was definitely <laughs> an interesting way to do it because it was it was very much learning on the job. And that's why we needed fresh air production because it was just completely new to me. And slightly terrifying. It, to be fair, though, that's that's how so many people do get into podcasting. I think it, because it's quite technically easy, you know, you can do it on your phone. You can be live across platforms really quickly. So there is a temptation just to sort of dive in. And often that's that's the best way to learn. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to hear you <laughs> say it. As you say, that first series really was a pilot, wasn't it? It was a, a test and learn process. It really was. And I think we could have tried to do it ourselves, but, you know, we already have the magazine, which is a certain quality. And 
to come out with something that was talking about mental health and encouraging people to be so open, they had to have that reassurance that they were being that that recording was done in a way that made them feel safe and that they trusted in the process. And I think we wouldn't have got that trust had we not had the wraparound support that we had of the production team of you, Neil and Annie and the studio and that comfort because they are really intimate conversations. I can't imagine kind of fiddling around with equipment and trying to get that right while having some of the conversations that we did and I I still can't. That's bringing Annie I think um, we have a fantastic pool of producers we allocate them to the right project based on their experience sometimes because they have a specialist knowledge such as science or music and sometimes it just feels right to be frank and I think it's fair to say that Annie we put you on this because it was a nice personality fit and it was all about the relationship between you as the producer and Lucy as the presenter, wasn't it? Yeah, and I think that probably from after about the first 10, 15 minutes, it felt to me more like a, a team and a very quickly developing friendship rather than just me sitting on side of the glass sort of telling Lucy what to do. We laugh continuously throughout our recordings and I think that that connection is really important and you can't buy that, you know. It helps that we've both got dogs so we've got <laughs> things in common that we now talk about together on WhatsApp all the time. So it's a, it's a friendship that's developed outside of the studio and I think that really helps the production. I mean, we should be clear here at this point that Lucy is, isn't just head of partnerships and projects. You present the podcast yourself, Lucy, which I, I guess may have been out of necessity to start with or, or, again, that sort of experimental thing. But how did you find diving into the presenting as well as everything else that you do at Happiful? I think it was partly out of necessity because Happiful, we're a, we're a tiny, tiny team. But I'm really passionate about podcasts and had been listening, have listened to podcasts for a really long time. And there is something about not having a visual, just listening to people's voices that's so intimate. And I really wanted to be part of that. I wanted to try that. And to be honest, it's it's the thing I love the most about my job now. And uh, long may it last, because I learn something every single time we do an interview. It was tough at first, and I'm I'm so glad that you were there, Neil, because... There are things that you wouldn't know about the way you speak. So your tone, how quickly you speak. I really was quite (laughs) emphatic about the way that I would respond to people when they were speaking because they were saying quite sensitive things. So I wanted I wanted them to know that I was listening and Neil very gently helped me not to not to actually make sounds when I was doing that. So, (laughs) yeah, it was it was a huge learning curve, but it's something that I absolutely love now. And yeah, long may it last. So, Annie, Lucy presents it. Lucy sets up the guests. Um, Lucy knows the magazine inside out. What do you actually do? Well, I order her tea. What do tea. I pay you for? Yeah, I order her tea. I make her laugh. Um, and I like to think that, uh, and I hope this doesn't sound patronising, but that I hold Lucy's hand through the process. So it became apparent very quickly that Lucy is a very, very skilled interviewer. She's done it in print for years and she knows how to ask a really good question in a really sensitive way. But she's not used to being in a studio. She's not used to having a producer, an engineer, possibly a member of her team and a guest all staring back at her when she's doing her job it's just it's a strange situation to be in when you're used to probably just being either on the end of a telephone with a guest or just being one-on-one in a room so 
I feel like my job really is to bring all of that skill set from print and bring it over into the studio and make her feel as comfortable as possible and to bring out her natural warmth and make her feel relaxed and that feeling then I think rubs off on the guest and it comes out in the audio as well and you know basically at the end of the production offer her a bit of advice give her honest feedback so you know not everything works brilliantly first time we have to record pickups when we're recording links but basically make Lucy feel like she's not failed she's not let anybody down it doesn't matter if we overrun slightly and that I enjoy what she's doing because it's strange being in that little glass box with the little foam microphone in front of you, you've got no audience reaction. Um, so I have to be that audience for her. So I, if something's funny, I have to laugh and I have to make sure she can see me laughing. Um, if something's moved me, it's really important that I tell her that it's moved me. And I, my job isn't just to sit there, take the few notes, take the audio, go home and chop it up. My job is to listen really carefully. So if something has resonated with me, the chances are that's resonated with the listener as well is it also something you have to do with guests as well some of them will be very experienced some of them will be quite new to it presumably there's an element of working with the guest as well as as lucy yeah i think so Um, and you're right some of them are very well accomplished and have done massive tv interviews and some may have just written their first book and they're visibly very very nervous so yeah my job is to put them at ease um welcome them you know you you it sounds silly but just offering somebody a cup of tea or a biscuit i think that's really really important and i like to do that as well as lucy because lucy's worrying about what she's going to say but as i said it is a team effort so the more people that make a guest feel welcome and feel relaxed and comfortable the better so we take away all the technical aspects of it always got a brilliant engineer with me and we work together very closely and it means that Lucy doesn't have to worry about that Lucy doesn't need to talk to them about levels and don't sit too close don't do this don't do that we do all of that for her so she can just sit there ask the questions listen and doesn't you know just takes all of that worry away from her I think the other thing is Annie's listening helps at times when I have become very focused on the person in front of me. So there was one example that I just wanted to talk about, which is Lara Podelska, who talked about ADHD and she was talking about her experience with it. And I was really listening to how it felt for her. And Annie just asked me if it was important for her to talk about it. And it wasn't a question I thought about because I was so focused on her emotion in that moment. And I asked her and she actually relayed that it was the first time she'd ever spoken about the fact that she had ADHD. I have never spoken about it publicly. ADHD is just a symptom that I have. And this is the first time I'm speaking about it. And and it's really liberating and it's really quite nice. And I hope it brings it brings a sort of a, it, it lessens the stigma that kids with ADHD often have and adults as well. Having that second pair of ears means that we can throw open a conversation that would have been much more closed because I'm so focused on that person. So Annie does everything that she just talked about, but it's it's also that experience of someone who has been doing it for a long time to ask the question that might not be the obvious one to me. So let's talk about the format of the show because I think it's a really interesting format and you came up with it before we got involved. So can you just describe it a bit and and why you think it works? Yeah, so I wanted to have a format that had pillars to it so we could progress through the conversation. 
but starting off with questions about what is important to someone before we talk about their mental health because mental health or mental illness is a part of who we are so people who we interview send three I am's in advance so it might be something they're passionate about Aaron Harvey talked about his OCD but one of the things he was passionate about was surfing so he talked at length about how surfing actually helped with his OCD because it was he had to give himself up to the sea he couldn't think he couldn't ruminate when he was doing that so the idea is that they send me in advance three I am's and we talk about that and the last question is I have it might be I have anorexia I have OCD so we talk about that and then the last question now which is is a slightly changed one is if you could meet yourself in 10 years time what do you hope they'd say to you so there's a bit of forward looking when people leave they need to leave with feeling like they've come to a place of rest on that conversation I don't want that to sound too earnest but actually I think you have a duty of care when you chat to people about their mental health not to have them leaving the studio feeling worse than when they came in so you've got this two-part format though so you you, the main episode you've already talked about I am I have but you've also done these I am I have how it helps can you explain those as well because those are almost sort of bonus episodes aren't they of of the podcast they are so these are with our members from the directories and the idea is to talk a little bit about therapies and how they can help or specific subjects so in the first series we did anxiety couples counseling and anger management and bereavement so the idea is that you can listen to a specific topic or a specific type of therapy and understand how that might relate to you so hearing directly from a qualified therapist about what might help was really important for us to to kind of continue to promote the idea of talking as opposed to listening to people telling their stories and perhaps it resonating. We want to have an opportunity to help people move towards the help they might need, which is everything that we do, helping people find the help they need. And you said earlier that you'd sort of retrospectively thought about the objectives of the podcast, having dived in sort of feet first. Is that idea of readdressing people's impression of therapy alongside raising the brand awareness of the magazine? Are there there now sort of multiple objectives to the podcast you think or or different objectives to the different types of episode perhaps I think it's all about growing the community and having a touch point wherever people want to make a connection with us so we've seen it as an extension of some of our lead interviews so Munro Bergdorf Grace Victory Megan Crabb we were able to extend that interview and talk more about some of the themes by having the podcast as well as the lead article so the two kind of fed into each other Definitely with I Am, I Have, it's about making people aware of the directories and the fact that they can engage with professionals through the directories. And also, very honestly, it's it's helped along with the magazine and the magazine team are so small and do such amazing things. It's helped us to grow Happiful as a brand because one of the things is that publicists have been really open to working with us on the podcast because they see the immediate benefits of a podcast and it's an extended interview with someone and as I said earlier on it's someone's own voice so one of my favorite episodes is Rose McGowan when she was launching her book Brave which talked about her childhood but it also talked about the Me Too movement and the issues she'd had with, and I'm going to call him the monster because she refused to to name him in the book and I, I don't want to either. 
But to hear her perspective on that without any kind of other framing was such a privilege. And I think that she's been done a massive disservice in the media. And a podcast can do that in the way a written piece can't. We heard her voice. We heard her talk about the fact that she makes a good tomato pasta. We heard the fact that she, you know, she loves reinventing herself or looking at what she's doing. We just saw a different side of Rose that I don't think we could have really got across in print. I think probably if you spent time with Citizen Rose, you'd see more of you know, the spectrum. But I, you know, I'm not partly to blame, but the way I was presented for so long was artificially and and not true to who I was at all. But I, so I, I shrank from it and I didn't really, you know, a lot of people would go on talk shows and reveal these things about themselves. And I never did that. I was always very private and I hated how I was portrayed. So I didn't, and I knew anything I said would be misconstrued. And, of course, the media, you know, presents a really one-sided, one-dimensional aspect to a character without stopping and asking, why does this person have to behave this way? Why is this person angry? She's a really good example because she's very well known in the Me Too movement and she touched on it. But actually, one of her I am's was, was something like, I am funny. And her subject matter was really hard hitting and it was really tough. But we laughed out loud a lot during that interview. And I didn't go into that interview thinking it was going to be a funny interview. I didn't think we were going to come away having laughed as much as we did. But her true character came out and we saw a totally different side to her, to the one that we were expecting and undoubtedly a different side to what the the audience would be expecting. So you do often get an element of surprise. And it's it's clever because it gets people to, to think slightly differently about their subject. And often it's subjects that they've talked a lot about. And the other thing that I think is really important is Lucy's referenced her own OCD. It gives her a chance to bring in her own personal experiences. That really resonates with the guests. You can see that they really like it when Lucy mentions that. And it's absolutely going to resonate with the audience because if you're at home listening and you know that the person asking the questions knows exactly where you're coming from and what you're thinking as well you know that that's really powerful and I think that that whole format really plays into that and it it plays into Lucy's skill as a as an interviewer as well. One thing you've done Lucy recently as a slightly different way of a brand looking at podcasting is you've sponsored somebody else's podcast so you've sponsored Fern Cotton's Happy Place which is one of the most successful, most listened to podcasts in the UK, certainly in the last couple of years. Why did you decide to get involved in somebody else's podcast as well as having your own? You know, the the title of the magazine can sometimes mean that people make assumptions about what Happyful is and what Happyful offers. And so it was really a bit of alignment there to share what we do and our passion, our authenticity to the widest possible audience. And I just knew there was something really special between the audiences that came to Happy Place and the potential for Happyful. And I really respect what Fern does. You know, it's a, it's a very, very open, conversational format where she does something that allows people to just share what they want to. And I really wanted to align what Happyful does with that kind of conversation, because it's about that. It's about that human connection. And we did it in lockdown because we knew that we needed to reach people during lockdown. And working with them has been absolutely lovely. It's something I really love about 
the podcasting industry, the podcasting space, actually, because you do have podcasts with complementary audiences who are talking to the same people in a slightly different way, but it doesn't really feel like we're in competition. You can you can listen to more than one podcast. It's not like a radio show where you're trying to get someone to tune out of LBC to listen to Five Live. I don't see that it has to be competitive. You know, it's always nice if you're slightly higher up the charts, but what does that actually mean? You know, numbers are important. It's important to quantify the return sometimes. It's, it's important to to see evidence for what a podcast has achieved. But have you tried that at all? Have you tried to quantify what it's been worth or is it is it really just a sort of softer benefit in terms of thought leadership? I mean, this is definitely something that I... I think if anyone else was starting it, I would encourage them to look at at the beginning because from my perspective, I've always seen the value in it from a, a brand and a community and a connection point of view, because it's something that I can feel. It's something that I can hear in our feedback that we get when we get surveys and people talk about the podcasts. It's something I can see in terms of the listening time, but being able to come up with a mathematical equation at this point, I can't do it. But I think I'm definitely much more of the feel I quantify in terms of feel and reaction and when we're talking to PRs and how people feel about the interviews when they leave. And you've won awards for it as well. We did. Which we, is a genuine benefit, isn't it? We did. We won the um, the independent PPA award for it last year, which was a real highlight, actually. And yeah, it was really nice to get some feedback from the industry as well on what they thought about it. So yeah, that was a real bonus. The other way that the podcast has been sort of enlarged on is you created a an I Am I Have live event where we had a whole day of guests and speakers come in. Talk to us about that. How did that come about? That was one of the best days that I've ever had and also one of the worst decisions I ever made, I think. <laughs> you were um, the most nervous person I've ever seen in my life on that day. I oh, I was. I, I, and you did it brilliantly. <laughs> I was very nervous and uh, we turned it around in six weeks and I think I had a, a lot of naivety about what doing an event like that meant. I wanted to bring together different podcasts to create a week worth of content for Mental Health Awareness Week and also a live event. Curating that and doing it all on the same day and expecting an audience to stay for kind of six hours worth of podcasting was quite a tall order and uh, quite a big ambition. So the content that resulted was fantastic. The learnings I got were priceless. Would I do it again? Probably not. Am I proud of the content? Definitely. So to wrap up, any tips that you would give to anybody who's looking to do the same thing, whether they're a publisher, whether they're looking for sort of thought leadership in their own realm, they're probably listening to this because they're considering having a podcast of their own. So any tips or advice you would give to people who are at the start of the same road that you've been down? Firstly, I'd say it's joyful to do and you'll have some of the most wonderful conversations and you learn as you're doing it. So don't don't be put off by the enormity of it. It sounds slightly like I'm buttering you up, Neil, but I would say work with a professional team to help you shape it because... Yes, I did put together the original treatment, but actually, Neil, you worked with me to refine that because 
it wouldn't have quite worked. I was I was trying to do the two things in one originally. So actually having a professional point of view on what you're doing when you start is really important. Think about what you're trying to say to your audience, but think about how you can entertain or engage them. I think it's very easy to think about what you need as a company and not what the person who's listening wants, because ultimately it won't work unless you are reaching people and resonating with people and and find a way for it to be something joyful for you. Because I do feel like I'm I'm part of a team, you know, Annie and I are a team in the same way that I'm trying to hold space for someone in that interview. I know that I've got someone doing the same for me. And it's really important to have that. So there you go. That's I am, I have from Happyful in a nutshell. Huge thanks to Lucy Donoghue from Happyful and our own Annie Day from Fresh Air. It's a great brand extension for the magazine. It's a smart way of using podcasting. And Lucy has made the transition from print journalist to podcast host really brilliantly. Also, Annie is very modest, but her input is really, really valuable to us and to Lucy, I know. Please do give it a listen. Just search in your normal podcast app. And we've put some more details on the website at freshairproduction.co.uk. That's also, of course, the place you can go if you'd like to see more of our work and get in touch to see how we can help you make a branded podcast for your business. In the next episode, we'll be looking at a very different concept altogether, a year-long journalism project called The Big Steel. In the meantime, from me, Neil Cowling, and the whole Fresh Air team, goodbye and thank you very much for listening. Fresh.